Identity Unraveled, a podcast that features diverse experiences with cultural identity and how it has shaped our interactions with the world, our communities, and the people around us. Each week, I will bring on different guests who will talk about their experience navigating identity, sharing their perspectives, stories, and advice along the way. I'm your host, Fiona Tan, and I am currently a student at the Nueva School in San Mateo, California. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Before we go into a discussion with the Muslim Student Alliance, where our guests share their perspectives and thoughts on their connections with Islam, I wanted to quickly address the issues going on in Afghanistan currently. Over the past few weeks, an Islamic extremist group, the Taliban, took control of Afghanistan after capturing Kabul, the capital of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. They grow more and more powerful each week as it continues to control more districts. This was due to the United States' decision to withdraw military forces, and many American allies from around the world were feeling disappointed and furious with how the U.S. handled the withdrawal of Afghanistan. Although it may be easy to pinpoint a certain group to blame for the fall of Kabul, it is important to recognize the many aspects of the crisis that allowed for the takeover of Afghanistan. Most forces opposing the Taliban believed that the Afghan National Army would be able to defend urban areas, but the Afghan government did not invest sufficient resources into the army, creating an unwillingness to fight against the Taliban. The Taliban was also able to strike deals with leaders of districts and provinces, creating negotiations to hand over the land through bribes across all the nation. The control of the Taliban is also extremely threatening to the human rights of many women, media workers such as journalists and news reporters, and other targeted groups. As noted through NPR, the Taliban of the past were infamous for denying education to women, carrying out public executions of their opponents, and persecuting minorities. Based on the Taliban's narrow interpretations of Islamic law, they placed many restrictions on women's rights during their reign in Afghanistan. Women were not allowed to leave their homes without male supervision. They were not permitted to work or go to school. In the 20 years since the Taliban last held control of the country, Women have made great advances in education, the workforce, and leading modern lives. The return of the Taliban is a cause for fear for many Afghan women who are scared that their rights are being taken away due to the contradictions between Taliban beliefs and modern-day Afghanistan beliefs on women. And there are many different ways to get involved and help. You can volunteer at resettlement agencies where you can help with airport pickups, apartment setups, or bringing a meal, clothing, furniture, food, housing, coordination of health appointments, and interpretive services to Afghan refugees. And some examples of resettlement agencies are the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and the International Rescue Committee. You can also search online to find your local resettlement agency and to see what they need help with there. You can also donate to reliable organizations. 
Resettlement agencies right now are looking for in-kind donations, which can be anything from household goods to furnitures to gift cards that could support the arrival of new refugees. You can also donate to organizations such as Women for Women International that are looking for donations for its emergency relief fund. Another way to get involved is to contact your representative. You can text CRISIS to 52886 to send a letter about the situation in Afghanistan to your local and state representatives. You can email local and state and federal representatives and let them know how you feel about what's going on and also keep them accountable by asking how they are supporting Afghan refugees and women. And lastly, you can educate yourself. This can be anything from reading the news, asking people around you what their thoughts are, um, and learning about the history of Afghanistan and what this means to them. Welcome back. And in this episode, I talked with a few Nueva students from the Muslim Student Alliance at the Nueva School. We spoke about their feelings about belonging within their Muslim identity, the role of extremism in Islam, thoughts about current events such as the Uyghur crisis, and how we can all be helpful allies. To get a sense of who is speaking today, each of the guests started off by introducing themselves. So my name is Ayan. I'm in 11th grade, um, and I think that as one of the co-leaders um, of the Muslim Student Alliance at Nueva, um, it's really important to address um, a lot of issues around Islam and share our perspectives. Um, and I think that's one of our goals as a club in general. And I think that this podcast enables us to do so. Yeah, um, I'm Tamar. I'm in uh, ninth grade. And I think like this is this club and this podcast is it's just super important to um to just understand our broader knowledge of um our context of how we're living in this religion and in this time um and to really and to really understand um not like different perspectives and how we in our community and our school is being affected by like some of the things happening around us Okay, I'm Alia, and I'm in 12th grade, and I think um, kind of similar to what everyone else said, I think like this podcast is valuable in terms of um, like providing information perspective to the people that are listening to it. And I think that um, there's like a lack of Muslim perspective on some of these issues just because there aren't um, as many of them here. And so I think that it'll be interesting to kind of um, give those perspectives, I guess. Raza, I'm in 11th grade, and I think same as Alia, um, I'm interested in, in doing this podcast because um, just to promote you know, conversation in the Islamic community, um, and also just to hear multiple different perspectives from uh, the Bay Area, from Nueva. I'm Hamza, I'm in 11th grade, and the reason I decided to do this podcast is because as one of just a few Muslim students at Nueva, I think it's important for me to share my experiences so others can learn more um, 
and we can all kind of broaden our own perspectives. Okay, thank you everyone for sharing. Um, and to kind of talk more about like your experience um, with your identity, um, I was wondering a little bit more about what your Muslim identity means to you in terms of the context of being a student in the Nueva community. Um, I think that one thing we've noticed is that there is not um, a lot of Muslim representation in the Nueva community. Um, and because of this, uh, we sort of came together as a group of Muslims to uh, be able to learn more about our religion together, because I think that uh, is very important when understanding um, how how to navigate it um, and how to navigate our identities. Um, and so uh, I think that in the context of the Nueva community, um, we are trying to uh, boost um, the representation of Islam through different events and such. Um, but currently, um, I think that for me at least, um, it hasn't been a huge aspect of uh, who I am as a student. Yeah, I, I agree with what Ayan said. And also, um, personally, I feel very comfortable sharing my Muslim identity in the Nueva community, um, partly due to uh, the Muslim Student Alliance that I'm part of, um, and also just because of um, the way uh, the the way I just feel at Nueva, I feel quite comfortable sharing my identity. Yeah, I think there's also an aspect of sharing, like sharing traditions, sharing just information about um, all all the aspects of, of like the community and just um, like the research we do and all that like being shared with the overall Nueva community is, is something important that I think that I think we do. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of religion, I've always been in the minority at school, even outside of Nueva. Um, but I think compared to previous schools I've been at, just to echo what everyone else has said, Nueva as a community is a lot more kind of understanding and open um, around issues relating to religion. And because of that, I've, I think I feel a lot more comfortable, even though I'm still in the minority. Yeah, I mean, I feel similarly in the sense that I feel like Nueva is like a very open community where I feel comfortable sharing. I also think that like, even though I'm maybe more comfortable here with my Muslim identity than at schools in the past, I think that Nueva is also just like a less religious school in the sense that like a lot of people just don't have religious experiences. And so for that reason, it is a little bit more, I think, like unique to be like Muslim or just to be like someone who is religious. And so that's why I think like the Muslim Student Alliance is like a really great space to like share that and also share that with other people who like maybe don't know as much as in other places. Yeah, definitely. I think even though like Nueva doesn't have like the biggest um, population of Muslim students, I think having teachers who are very open to exploring Muslim identity and also having just a community that is open to having those conversations, I'm sure has really like been impactful. But I'm also curious at how your level of comfort or just how you feel about your religious identity has changed just when we talk more broadly about the Bay Area or in places that you've traveled around the United States. Have you noticed a change? And if so, what was that like? 
again, I feel um, pretty comfortable just in general in the Bay Area. Um, sort of, I guess just being a Muslim, um, I feel like there are definitely there's definitely enough, um, definitely a good amount of uh, mosques around where I can um, feel a sense of community and also just in the Bay Area through my parents, we have a lot of um, family friends that are Muslim and it um, it creates a pretty strong sense of community that I feel very comfortable with. Yeah, and I think that in the Bay Area, there's a lot of religious tolerance. Um, and so I think that you'll find a lot of open-minded people who are willing to learn more about um, a lot of other religions um, and who aren't judgmental based off of um, what religion you practice. And I believe that um, the Bay Area isn't reflective um, of other places in America. So I think that we have been um, very fortunate to grow up in um, a large community, the Bay Area community, who um, I think allows us to be comfortable with our religious identities. Yeah, that, I think that's all well said. Like, it's it's just a reinforcement of the fact that I think the Bay Area is just is super progressive. Um, I think really allows us to not only feel safe in this environment, but also just um, there's a lot of accepting people. It's a lot of accepting systems. I think it's certainly not perfect, but I think it's um, much more progressive and much more um, forward thinking than a lot of other places. And I think we're really fortunate for that. Yeah, I agree um, with everything that's been said. I think like in terms of exiting the Bay Area, it's like because there isn't something at least about myself that's like super Muslim, like on the outside that they would see if I didn't say anything. I think it's different um, when traveling just because like it's not as large a part of your identity there. And like if there's not something that's like necessarily screaming that you don't really know like how the experience is going to be there. But I think yeah that's it yeah that makes a lot of sense um yeah so i'm also wondering more about how your perspectives on just identity have changed over time as you've gotten older i feel like as high schoolers now we have more of an awareness about just our own cultural identity and just how we fit into the world so what has that shift been like from kind of being a younger kid to being a high schooler now on your interactions and views on your religion? I definitely understand um, our religion much more. I understand what it means to be a Muslim and I understand uh, what the implications of being a Muslim are. I feel like as a young kid, um, it was more my parents that were pushing me to to be a Muslim and to practice the religion. Um, and now I sort of understand on my own uh, what that means. Yeah, I mean, similar to Reza, I think when I was a lot younger, um, my only real incentive to learn more about Islam was from my parents. Um, and so when I was younger, I didn't really understand the religion too well. Um, but I think one thing that I recognize about myself that has sort of stayed true um, as I've gotten older is that I am still pretty hesitant about sharing my religious um, identity. And I think that um, as I've gotten older, it's more become something that 
uh, I, in, in an aspect of myself that I um, withhold from others because I'm more con- uh, conscious about how that might affect the way they perceive who I am as a person. Um, and it generally won't come up unless it is directly asked. Um, and I think that um, as I've sort of navigated um, growing up, um, it hasn't really affected me too much, but it also had left me without um, any real space to try to expand my knowledge on the religion. Yeah, I think, Fiona, like you touched on, um, I think for me, as I've grown up, my awareness has changed and increased. Um, And I think that has to do a lot with the rise of Islamophobia, especially in the past four years, which I think has made me more conscious of my uh, responsibility to be educated enough to stand up to misconceptions and misinformation around the religion. I think for me, like similar to others, um, when I was younger, my sort of the reason that I was um, involved in Islam was because of my parents and like them like wanting me to engage. And I think when I was younger, I was a lot more reluctant to like share about it. I think partially because I had like a very narrow vision of what it meant to be a Muslim, just because I only knew like what my parents had showed me. And I think also like being surrounded by like other kids who were like mostly like another religion I think I just felt sort of ostracized in that sense but I think like as I've grown older and like learned about other religions and like about Islam I think I've sort of more have this idea that like it can be what I want it to be and like that my religious experience is like something that I choose and also like learning about other religions has made me like more interested in my own and so in that way I feel like I'm a lot more like open and like not necessarily needing to hide that element of myself. Yeah. Um, I heard from a couple of you that um, when you were younger, kind of the way that you learned about Islam was through your parents. And like over time that grew and changed through your own personal interactions. But has being born into Islam affected your sense of belonging in any way as a Muslim? I think for me, um, most of my family on my mom's side are Muslim and they practice. So I've been surrounded by a Muslim community for most of my life. But I think definitely uh, it's a large part of my sort of family's identity, um, which makes that community more, um, or I guess it, it gives uh, my family community um that more like unique aspect, um, which uh, I guess I can find comfort in because we share the same beliefs um, in a sense. Uh, so I think like if if I wasn't born into a, a Muslim family, I wouldn't be a Muslim and I wouldn't push myself to learn more about the religion because I wouldn't be surrounded by it as much. Yeah, I feel similarly. I think it didn't really impact my belonging in like terms of in my family, just because I felt like, um, like, like the culture, the Muslim culture was like really prevalent in my childhood, at least on my mom's side. And so like, I felt like good about that, but I think it impacted my belonging in the sense that like when I was younger, it felt like, like, why is this being forced upon me? And like, I think 
especially because I was like a girl and like my mom would be like, oh, like don't wear these like shorts or something like that. And like that, even though that was like a little thing, it like really like impacted like me, like feeling different from like my friends. But I think like similar to Ion, like if I hadn't been born into it, like I wouldn't be that now. And I think like I choose to be it now because I've learned about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In terms of belonging, I think there's like such a, um, like an interconnected Muslim community in the Bay Area that I think is really unique. And um, like just from my parents um, being super understanding of, of like the community as well as um, my dad, like being understanding of the times we live in, I think has all been super helpful in like understanding how to belong and um, like how to really integrate into the community. I think um, to have those connections and um, like be be aware of the, the 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 wider Muslim community around you is really really helpful and important. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really powerful um, about how different parts of our identity kind of affect our sense of belonging and feeling like we're part of a different like part of a community. Um, and Hamza, you also mentioned earlier about how um, the rise of Islamophobia lately has kind of led you to want to learn more about Islam. And um, kind of what I've noticed is that there's a lot of different stereotypes that are tied to Islam. Um, One of the biggest ones, I think, being that Islam promotes violence. And um, in the Muslim Student Alliance meeting that I attended, we talked about how different interpretations of scripture can shape that understanding of violence. Um, And I want to know what your thoughts are in general, like all of you, um, on the interpretation of the relationship between Islam and violence and also um, how these kind of widespread perceptions of violence has affected your personal relationship with Islam. I think, yeah, it just shows how, um, well, I think the one of the issues is that the Quran was obviously, it was written hundreds of years ago in very old Arabic. And today, nowadays, there are very few people who understand and um, can read and and write Arabic well enough um, to translate the Quran. And and I think a lot of stuff gets uh, mixed up in translation. Uh, A lot of stuff gets cut out in translation. And there are also just so many different translations of the same. Um, you can look at like certain sentences of the Quran, and there'll be like five different sentences or five different um, five different um, translations of that same sentence. So I think um, part of the reason why um, certain groups use the Quran as justification for their violence is because of this. Um, interpretation because of the um, the sort of translation of the Quran. Yeah, I think what we've been doing in club meetings, like you said, is um, is really interesting and a good way to like analyze um, how we view violence in the religion. I think um, the the history of the West's interpretation of Islam in general and the, that kind of culture is, I think does way more harm than good to to the perception um, of Islam. 
um, of Islam. And I think the way, I think scripture being read differently um, among different people is the, is the final reason why we get so much debate and so much, um, so much uh, discourse about like, is Islam um, a violent religion? Is it a religion that promotes sexism or, or hatred towards other people? I think um, we really need to take a step back and analyze like how we are, how we are reading it and from like what perspective we're reading it from before we can really, um, before we can actually answer those questions. I think like also like part of why like stereotypes like that are able to gain a lot of traction is that I feel like in the West, like because there is like more of an absence of Islam and of Muslims, like there's less of an obligation to understand just because like they don't necessarily know anything else or like anything different or like have any examples saying that Muslims are otherwise. And so I think it's like really easy to believe things like that. And I think like just thinking about other religions, like I know like, like there's so many circumstances in which like people will interpret texts differently. Like for instance, I like remember like I learned about in Christianity, there are like these um, like Pentecostal churches that where like the people will like handle like venomous snakes. And then if they're poisoned, like they don't do anything about it because it's like God's like will or fate or something like that. And like, that's just, that's like something that they took from the Bible. And it's like, other people are obviously not interpreting it that way, but like, that's the way that like those people choose to interpret it. And I think like, that's an example of how like any religious text can be like interpreted in sort of a, an odd way. And that doesn't necessarily reflect on um, everyone in that religion. But I think that's harder for people to understand when they don't really have many other examples of that religion. Yeah, I think um, this is just, it's hard to understate the size and importance of this issue. Uh, the issue of if the violence we've seen in the Islamic world can be connected to the religion's core teachings. And like Tamar said, is Islam an inherently violent religion? And I think the reason this debate is so dangerous is because of exactly what Alia just said, which is a general lack of understanding about the religion in the Western world. Um, and personally, I think this has led to people immediately associating acts of violence and terrorism as being connected to Islam and its teachings. Um, so I think, again, returning to, to that issue of the rise of Islamophobia, I think that's also um, very much connected to the issue of a general lack of understanding about the religion. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of misconceptions and just what I've noticed um, in what I understand of religious like texts is because they're so old, like there's been a lot of different interpretations, which can definitely affect how different groups of people see um, the text and what the true meaning is. Um, and one thing that I also want to talk about is um, this idea of sexism that I think Tamara brought up. And Alia, earlier you were talking about how, um, like, your mom used to, like, say things about different clothing you would wear. Um, and I think another common stereotype is just that Islam is an oppressive religion to women. Um, and I don't know, Alia, would you be willing to kind of like speak more on your experience of kind of both being a woman and being Muslim? Yeah, for sure. I think um, 
when I was younger, it was sort of something that was challenging for me just because I felt like there were so many things that like other girls who weren't Muslim were allowed to do and it didn't feel like a big deal. And it felt like the reason that I wasn't allowed to do it was because of things that like, like ideas that were outdated and like ideas that I felt like, I think, I guess it was mostly my mom who was telling me like there was certain stuff I couldn't wear. And that frustrated me because I was like, is like being Muslim holding you back from like being more progressive about things that like I know you should be. But I think um, as I've grown up, I've sort of decided that like I can still be Muslim and like do what I want, like as a woman. And like, that's my own choice and like my own way that I like want to experience the religion. But at the same time, I think just beyond like those sorts of things, I think like, for instance, in the mosque, like when women stand behind men, I feel like kind of confused because I'm like, I know this is like a tradition and like the way that it's always been. But at the same time, like I know that the women are only standing back here so that the men like aren't looking at them. And like that doesn't really sit well with me. But at the same time, it's like, what can you even do about it? Because that's just like the way that it is. And it would just be, I feel like, too crazy to even think about changing something like that. So yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like one thing that I'm hearing is like kind of like your some of your values and beliefs like contradict slash collide with um kind of Islamic beliefs. And I'm curious if like other people on this call just more in generally have experienced that too, where kind of your personal values have conflicted with the values that Islam has kind of um, expressed or has written out for you? Yeah, I think my entire life, it's just, um, there's been like, uh, like a certain like introspection about how, um, like my values towards um, like different communities might clash with what like the tradition in um, my religion might be and how I can how I can like interpret like a living text and follow by the traditions and rules while still, you know, being like finding my own views and still like evolving my um, my outlooks towards like different people and different groups. I think um, it's definitely been like a struggle because you have one maybe conflicting view that you've really followed all your life and um, like how you think it should be. It should be run, I think um conflicts often i think that's that's really interesting to like grapple with yeah i think one thing that's um important to note when we're talking about uh progressiveness um in today's world and islam uh is that the quran was written very long ago and this society has definitely changed a lot um like societal values and norms have changed um, a lot from when it was uh, written or first discovered. Um, so I think that's probably that's a main that's a big reason for why we see this disconnect between um, what we're reading and what we're taught versus what um, society is sort of telling us. Yeah, and I think it's important to um, recognize that our so our beliefs are largely based around how we interpret um, scripture. 
Um, and so I think that we've definitely um, so far talked about interpretation quite a bit, um, but it is definitely a really important aspect of um, our faiths because it uh, goes hand in hand in how we interact with our surroundings. Yeah. Um, and kind of like, okay, sorry. Um, so I think we've talked a lot about like just stereotypes in general, but how do you think that these misconceptions have been harmful to the Muslim community, whether that's around like stigma or the sense of belonging or just like understanding personal beliefs? Um, I think it's been very harmful to the Muslim community um, in many ways. Um, and I think the first is because uh, a lot of people in power will use um, their interpretations of, I think, a lot of uh, violence that uh, is relevant to Islam as a way to sort of uh, uh, push their agendas by, I think, increasing the amount of fear and um, specifically I'm thinking about like American society. Um, and then we see things like the travel ban, um, and more so I think that then there's more religious suppression, um, which makes it harder to, uh, I think explore our religion and also, um, be more open about our identities and who we are because of what religion we practice. I also think like, one misconception is kind of like because of like terrorism like there's this idea that people who are muslim like hate non-muslims or like hate like the west and american culture and things like that and i think that that's a frustrating thing just because i think at least like when i go to the mosque and i like hear the imam talk i feel like such a large part of what he's saying is like to like love other people and like care about their well-being like regardless of any of that and i feel like that's just a really large part of my experience with Islam. And I think that that like really sort of gets removed from the narrative with all of these stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, go no, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like you see your personal experiences versus like the scripture is really um, important. And I think that's something that happens in all religions, but, um, but it's really highlighted in Islam. Um, I think, I think like the conflictions between how you experience um, your brothers and sisters, like at the mosque, for example, is different from how um, like you understand interactions to look like and how um, and how literal the scripture might be. I think that's that's definitely that's definitely very true. Yeah, I think similar to what Ion and Alia said, when you when you have people in power who are describing Muslims in America as a problem and perpetuating misconceptions about Muslim and terrorism and even even doing things like the travel ban, then that's that's only further contributing to the rise of Islamophobia and the spread of these misconceptions, which makes it even harder for us as Muslims to fight against them because they're just becoming more widespread. Yeah, I think Ali also mentioned a super important point earlier, which is about like kind of like her experience with what Islam promotes, which is peace and kind of caring for others, and what the perception of Islam is to the public, which is kind of like violence and terrorism. And I think that is something that 
our media has also very much portrayed. Um, and I know this is something that's really important in the Israel-Palestine conflict as well. Um, but I guess kind of like on that note, what should the media's role be in terms of um, representing the Muslim community? And why is it important that there is an accurate representation of Muslims in the media? That's a really important question. And I think that in terms of media, unfortunately, I feel as though it's hard to, I think, understand what aspect of Islam is supposed to be shown, because I think there are so many different perspectives that can be shared. Um, and also a lot of media outlets where it will have their biases and that will um, affect the type of image that they're portraying. Um, but I think that it's about how it, it's important to just be inclusive um, regarding all stories around Islam, because it is also important to, um, to share aspects of Islam that um, perhaps have negative ideas because um, I think that it's important to share every um, aspect and perspective of the religion so that people can draw their own conclusions. Um, but I think that it's hard to um, say whether or not any media source would be uh, willing or even able to show all aspects of Islam. Yeah, I think it's, like, really challenging to, like, say, like, what should they be showing about Muslims in the media? Just because I think, like, there's such a diverse range. And I think, at least in my opinion, I feel like the most important thing is, like, not necessarily, like, in the news, but maybe in, like, TV or just, like, somewhere, like, in the media realm, like, representation of Muslims, like, just as, like, regular people, I think, because I feel like there needs to be, like, some sort of humanizing of them in the media, does anyone else want to add? I think I think what they said is is really impactful. I think um, you guys are super right in line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, and I also know that there's been kind of a lot of polarization in the Islamic community, kind of between like progressive ideas and also conservative ideas of issues mentioned in sacred texts. Um, what do you think is fueling that divide and how has it impacted the Islamic community and yourself as an individual? Yeah, I think there's a lot of like, I know personally a lot of um, like conservative Muslims, Muslims and like, a lot of um, very progressive Muslims. I think um, since the, this community is so tight in the Bay Area. I think um, they 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 coexist in a in a really surprising way. Um, we're all like, for example, um, my dad and all the other Muslim dads in in like that kind of community are all um, all know each other and all like stand on different sides of the spectrum from um, more conservative, more more faithful, and more. Um, more progressive in terms of their not only political beliefs but in their reading of the scripture. I think um, it specifically in the Bay Area it coexists in a really um, beautiful way, considering 
how divisive it can be. I would actually say, well, I agree that like it coexists in some ways, but I also think that like, well, I don't know. I think in Islam, like more than other like Abrahamic religions, I feel like it's really behavior oriented or like your role as a Muslim is more seen in relation to like the actions that you take, like for instance, like praying five times a day or something like that. And I think like, that's not to say that like other religions don't have that behavioral component, but I think that like, it's weighed more heavily in Islam. And for that reason, I feel like because more conservative Muslims will like lean towards like maintaining traditions and like maintaining practices, I think that there is like, I feel like I've seen like judgment on that side in terms of like feeling like more Muslim or like feeling like a better Muslim because of that. And so I think that's just one of the challenges there, I guess. Yeah, that is, that is such a good point. Like the feeling of, um, like I'm a better Muslim than you. I'm more faithful than you. Um, all that elitism, I think, is really. It definitely needs to be addressed. I think. Um, yeah, it's a really good point, and something that we don't often think about is like that kind of elitism in your own community and how that like affects each person personally. Yeah. Is there anything else people want to add on this topic in general? Yeah, I, I just think that while there are, this is just sort of. Um, taking like more of like a medicine on this, I, I think that while there are a lot of issues uh, with the way that Islam is portrayed and uh, received by people by non-Muslims, um, there still is a lot of uh, violence between Muslim communities, um, and I think that there definitely needs to be uh, more conversations around um, understanding how. I think within Islam, there are a lot of disagreements and conflicts um, that still need to be resolved and not ignored. I want to give a quick warning and acknowledge that in this next part, we talk about some sensitive topics around sexual assault, violence, and also abuse of human rights. Over the past few months, we have seen the increase of violence against the Muslim community in Asia with the Uyghur crisis. Millions of Uyghur Muslims are being held in brutal detention camps as the Chinese government attempts to eradicate Islam from China's future. These internment camps have violated human rights by using practices of torture, murder, systemic sexual assaults, and gang rapes. Muslims were forced to eat pork, drink alcohol, criticize their own Muslim beliefs, and memorize Chinese communist ideas. The reason why this issue isn't being reported more in the United States has a lot to do with the systemic oppression against our Muslim community in this country. While many political figures are quick to jump into talking about Christian persecution, we lack the same coverage around protecting the rights of Muslims. Our guests go deeper into this topic, exploring their feelings, thoughts, and beliefs around what has been happening on our international stage. With the Uyghur crisis, um, a lot of countries um, and people uh, in power in general have um, chosen to stay silent about the uh, what is happening to the Uyghur community in uh, China. 
Um, and I guess a place to start is why do you believe that um, the uh, Muslim community and the issues that are occurring to them are being ignored, um, especially because of the clear violations of uh, human rights and so on? Um, I think, I mean, this is obviously a very complicated issue, and I think it has, uh, it's it's bigger than just, just religion. Um, I think maybe one of the reasons is why, is that um, some of the Muslim majority countries see China as more of an ally than countries in the West. Um, and I think that that definitely has religious connections, but I think also with China's recent Belt and Road Initiative, um, and other investment projects that it's done in in Muslim majority countries, they there's kind of like an economic and and political um, incentive there to not say anything, which I think is is obviously very harmful when you have something as as big and as as uh, kind of egregious as what China's doing right now. Yeah, really interesting point, um, and I think that. Uh, in terms of Muslim majority countries that are staying silent, I think that you um, have addressed it quite well um, regarding just uh, international relations with China um, and how, I guess, like the economics of um, the issue. Um, so I guess sort of transitioning into how uh, you guys have perhaps been affected by what is happening and the silence um from from many governments um has has the governmental silence uh produced any discomfort or worry uh when thinking about the future of islam or how um you might be treated or other islamic communities might be treated um in the future if there are uh similar issues um that relate to um power and uh economic and international status? Um, I think, like you said, this is, this is an issue that has very, very big implications for future conflicts. I think what we're seeing right now is that the leaders of these Muslim countries um, have kind of decided that it's more important to prioritize China's economic, economic investments and, and their economic power, what they've been doing for or their countries, for example, in Pakistan, how the the China-Pakistan economic corridor, that's been decades of investment that China has put into Pakistan. And that's, like I was saying, that, that has contributed to some of the silence on the Uyghur crisis. But, but again, uh, when you have countries that are prioritizing economic interests over human rights, um, I think that's when, that's when we need to see a shift. Um, and that, that's a really big problem. Yeah, like, I, I agree with that. Like, what can China get away with before um, not only the leaders of Muslim countries, but the but um, America and, and other and other um, NATO powers? Like, when are they going to see this as um, immediate human rights crisis that needs to be, um, like, fully addressed? Because I feel like um, America could do more, but they really just don't want to jeopardize relations, right? So I feel, um, like, when, where do... We as where do we draw the line as um, as a nation in terms of 
um, like human rights atrocities overseas? Do we, do we get involved or what, what do we do? If we denounce it, then are we really doing anything to help? Yeah, just kind of to add on to what you're saying about like the U.S. and like addressing humanitarian crises, I think like even though this is like a very shocking scenario, I think at the same time, like it's not that surprising to me that like Western countries wouldn't be paying that much attention to something like this because I feel like like that's happened a lot of times. And I also think that like more recently in America, there's like a lot more like nationalistic and like isolationist sentiment that sort of like results in like caring less about like what's happening to like to the other like elsewhere in terms of like humanitarian things and i think like in addition to like what everybody said about like economic situations with other um muslim states i also think there's a difference there in terms of like like especially because like china has like sort of criticized the uyghur muslims for um sort of like being a threat to them in some way i think that that's an important element in Muslim states like choosing not to do anything just because I feel like there's sort of a cultural value there in terms of like prioritizing like social stability above like human rights sorts of things so yeah yeah I think furthermore like it really is understated how bad it is like it's it's a it's a real genocide I I was looking at a figure of birth rates in the in the um in the area for um Uyghurs and um there's just such a sharp um downward spike that's just so apparent and and really makes you think about um the the human lives that are just being that are being taken into these camps being um being killed and all the human um human rights like atrocities that are happening it just really gets understated and, and um like when you think that that's happening at this current time overseas and the fact that um uh, this country and our allies aren't really doing anything to um, to either help or acknowledge this is really um, disappointing and really like makes us look at the wider Muslim culture as a whole and um, what governments are doing to protect us. Hamza brought up a really interesting point about how China is really trying to prioritize their economic benefits. And I was kind of doing some research on this and I learned that um, the Chinese PPE companies are kind of using Uyghur um, labor to create masks that people in the United States wear every single day. And I think um, it's clear that kind of their idea of exploitation of labor um, kind of justifies um, basically cultural genocide. And it's also interesting that in a country like China, where there's kind of a lot of homogeneity in terms of the culture and kind of what they want people to understand of them, there's a lot of censorship that you see like in media and just kind of like what they produce. And I think being that Uyghur populations are religious minority in China, that's something that um, is kind of used against them. Yeah, um, really great point, Fiona. It's interesting to see how um, even we, um, the people around us, are uh, perhaps benefiting from what is happening in China. Um, and I think one really interesting thing that you brought up is uh, censorship. So um, obviously China has uh, been very strict about what information 
goes in and leaves their country. Um, and so I'm curious. Um, I know it's very difficult for uh, journalists to go into uh, Xinjiang and um, evaluate the problems of the Uyghur crisis because of China's um, control. Um, so I'm curious, do you think that the media is um, doing enough to address the Uyghur crisis, um, doing as much as they can, or perhaps not trying hard enough to really get to the root of the problem and um, share what's happening with uh, the rest of the world? Um, just to clarify, are you talking about um, Chinese media or just just media overall? Um, I think in general, um, media that is not based in China. Um, well, I, th- I think it's challenging because of how, how restrictive China has been on, on media reporting on what's going on with the Uyghurs. Um, I just, I think overall the kind of secretive nature of, of all of this both makes it more horrific and also makes it harder for, for us and for media outside of, of the U.S. to understand what's really going on. Because the truth is, um, we, I don't think anyone really truly knows the extent to which um, Muslims are being prosecuted in these camps in China, which I think is, is very scary. I think, I think, in, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay, uh, like, okay, I'll just go quick, fast. Um, but, like, it's media in conjunction with the government. Um, they both need to really work to spread awareness and actually promote action. Um, there won't be any action that comes out of only the media. I think, in reality, the government, government has to work worldwide to um, pressure China and really get to the root of this. Yeah, so um, I think this conversation has sort of led into action, and that's something I want to address in the next question. Um, but I also just want to um, know something interesting. So a couple of years ago uh, in the UN, um, around 40 to 50 countries signed a few statements recognizing the human rights violations in China, um, and nothing has been done. So I'm curious uh, to see if any of you guys have any ideas as to what reasonable um, international action would look like um, to, one, I think, address the issue and also combat it. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I think for me, kind of going back to what I talked about earlier, I think the first step is is always acknowledging that the problem exists, and when you have countries that are um, that again have these massive economic incentives to not condemn the Uyghur crisis, that's I think a huge challenge that that we need to get through first um, in terms of just just again acknowledging that that the problem is there. One thing that I think for our listeners is what advice would you give them to? on how to best support the Muslim community? I'd say definitely approach a discussion or however you're interacting um, with the community with um, a very open mind. Um, 
sort of go in without thinking about anything you've previously heard about Islam, because again, like we've talked, like we were talking earlier um, about the media, how you, uh, a lot of the stuff you see in the media um, is just very, very small parts of Islam or not even parts of Islam. Um, so I'd say definitely go into it with um, an open mind and no uh, sort of past uh, misconceptions. Yeah, I think it's important to have these, um, to, to, to educate yourself with an open mind around um, the many aspects of Islam. And uh, I think another important area that people could explore um, is to just have a conversation with um, someone practicing Islam. Because I think that it's important to also understand people's firsthand perspectives of the religion um, to better understand how they interact with it so that you get a better sense of um, the values of the religion. Yeah, I agree like with what everyone said, just like sort of learning more. And I think that another important facet of that is probably like acknowledging any prejudices that you might have. And that's not to say like thinking, oh, like I'm Islamophobic or something like that, but more like acknowledging like what you do know and like what you have heard that's like maybe influenced the way you've thought about Islam and just like thinking about that honestly, just so that you can sort of debunk that information and also like have meaningful personal encounters to sort of replace any false knowledge you might have. Yeah. And I think to some of you just want to like be tolerant, but don't be uh, tolerant of intolerance. I think keeping an open mind is really important. And, um, like, if you want to support, there are, there are many ways you can support. But overall, I think um, to just not make not make fast judgments and to um, to like try to understand your, your peers and uh, people around you is really important. Thank you so much for everyone who was involved with this episode. I would like to start off by thanking our guests, Ion, Raza, Hamza, Tamer, and Alia, for sharing their thoughts and experiences with us today and Powell and Tyler for helping edit this podcast. Tune in for our next episode on September 8th, where I talk to some students about their experiences growing up as Asian Americans in the Bay Area.